0: Our first reading is Leviticus 26, verses 9 to 13. I will look with favor upon you, and make you fruitful and multiply you. I will maintain my covenant with you. You shall eat old grain long stored, and shall have to clear out the old and make way for the new. I will place my dwelling in your midst, and shall not abhor you and I will walk among you and will be your God, and you shall be my people. I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt to be their slaves no more. I have broken the bars of your yoke and made you walk erect. Our second reading is from First Peter chapter 2, verses 18 to 25. Slaves, accept the authority of your masters with all deference. Not only those who are kind and gentle, but also those who are harsh. For it is a credit to you, if being aware of God, you endure pain while suffering unjustly. If you endure when you are beaten for doing wrong, what credit is that? But if you endure when doing right and suffer for it, you have God's approval. For to this you have been called because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example so that you should follow in his steps. He committed no sin and no deceit was found in his mouth. When he was abused, he did not return abuse. When he suffered, he did not threaten but he entrusted himself to the one who judges justly. He himself bore our sins on his body on the cross so that free from sins we might live for righteousness. By his wounds you have been healed for you were going astray like sheep but now you have returned to the shepherd and guardian of your souls. So this is the next part in our Anti-Lectionary
1: series. We're looking at the passages that the lectionary generally ignores or passes over. And having read or heard the passage this morning, I can assure you understand why it often gets ignored. To say the Bible is problematic when it comes to slavery (laughs) is to trivialize the horrific impact that it has had on human history through colonialism, before and now. And so many of the Old Testament stories are built on the backs of slaves. And when we think of slavery in the Old Testament, I'm sure most of our minds t- tend to automatically go to the story of Exodus, of um, Egypt and God's saving of the Israelites from slavery from the evil Pharaoh. And we get little reminders of this story throughout the rest of um, scripture. And our first reading this morning was an example of that. But you probably don't automatically think of these other passages. So, here we go. However, you may purchase male or female slaves from among the foreigners who live among you. May also purchase the children of such resident foreigners, including those who have been born in your land. You may treat them as your property, passing them on to your children as permanent inheritance. You may treat your slaves like this, but the people of Israel, your relatives, you must never, must never be treated in this way. That's also from Leviticus, the same passage, the same chapter as our passage this morning. Or there's this one. If you buy a Hebrew slave, he is to serve for only six years. Set him free in the seventh year, and he will owe you nothing for his freedom. If he was single when he became a slave, and then married afterwards, only he will go free. But if he married before he became a slave, then his wife will be freed with him. If the master gave him a wife whilst he was a slave, and they had sons or daughters, then the man will be free in that seventh year. But his wife and children will still belong to his master." But the slave may plainly declare, I've loved my master, my wife, and my children. I'd rather not go free. If he does this, the master must present him before God, and then his master must take him to the door publicly and pierce his ear with an awl. And after that, the slave will belong to his master forever. That one's actually from Exodus, the same book that gets its name from the story of God's exodus of his people from Egypt. After being freed from this terrible slavery, what about this passage? When a man sells his daughter as a slave, when a man sells his daughter as a slave, she will not be freed at the end of six years, as the men are. If she does not please the man who bought her, he may allow her to go back out and be bought again. But he's not allowed to sell her to foreigners, since he is the one that broke contract with her. And if the slave girl's owner arranges for her To marry his son, he can no longer treat her as a slave girl, but he must treat her as his daughter. If he himself marries her and then takes another wife, he may not reduce her food or clothing or fail to sleep with her as his wife. If he fails in any of these three ways, she may leave as a free woman without taking any payment. Or when a man strikes his male or female slave with a rod so hard That the slave dies under his hand, he shall be punished. However, if the slave survives for a day or two, he is not to be punished, since the slave is his own property. They're also both from Exodus. We don't think of those passages when we think about the stories of the Old Testament. You don't think of those passages when we think about slavery in the Bible. And what about the New Testament? It fares slightly better, but our second reading shows us that we are not. It's not where our modern sensibilities would like it to be. Jesus even talks about a parable, has a parable in Luke and in Matthew about the master who leaves his servant to look after the household. That servant is a slave. It's not servant in the way we think of like it's not Jeeves. It's a slave someone in bond, bondage to him. The allegorical, metaphorical slavery language, it depends on real slavery happening to make sense. One commentator writes that the parables of Jesus are either theological or moral stories, are not just theological or moral stories, but they are political and economic ones too. It's not a story about how God works, but how exploitation worked in ancient Palestine. This is a picture of how things were, not necessarily how they should be. But the scriptures themselves are written by people, written by scholars, by rabbis, by the the scribes. And they write about slaves, but always from the master's point of view. This is an attempt to distinguish the middle-class citizens from slaves who might possibly have actually held slightly higher positions in society because they were owned by wealthy people. We look at the Epistle of Philemon. It's an important text when it comes to slavery and was actually used by pro-slavery advocates as well as abolitionists. This is Paul writing to Anesimus about a fugitive slave, Philemon, and sending him back. He entreats him not to see him as a slave anymore because he is now a brother in Christ. But it's a question, it's asking, it's not a commandment. Paul finally does condemn the slave traders in 1 Timothy. But by this point, you might be like me and thinking it's a little bit too late and not much of an effort. And we cannot discuss Christianity and slavery without talking about the buying and selling of slaves across the British Empire. It is a huge part of our heritage and our history. It was made illegal in 1807. And you could not own a slave in England. And once the slaves stepped foot onto English soil, they were a free man. But this was not the case for the rest of the empires or the colonies. And owning slaves, even though the trading had been made illegal, wasn't actually outlawed completely until 1833. And even then, there was a process in place. Slaves became apprentices to their former owners. And emancipation was only achieved for the majority by 1840, with a few remaining exceptions in 1843. And even then, it was the slave owners that received formal compensation for their losses. The slaves received no reparations. The end of slavery did not mean that then everyone was on an equal footing. Nearly 200 years later, the inequality and abuse of people of colour, especially black men and women and children, is toxic, violent and all around us. The entire police, justice, and prison system in the U.S. is built upon it. At best, the subjugation of black people into the lower classes. At worst, a way to keep them in slavery through the the privatization of prisons and their ability to sell involuntary labor. And So we come to modern day. And this isn't the only form of modern-day slavery, apart from the US prison system. There are an estimated 40.3 million people enslaved across the globe today. It's most prevalent in those impoverished places, and surprise, surprise, those within a vulnerable minority. It does exist in developed countries, as we've already seen. It happens here in the UK, mainly through sex trafficking. Tens of thousands toil in slave-like conditions in industries such as mining, farming, and factory, producing goods for our consumption. (coughs) Profiteers preying on vulnerable people and operating without cost. We have bonded labor, labor, domestic servitude, sexual exploitation, and forced marriage the main forms of slavery that happen today. Which to me sounds really like what was being described in the Old Testament. War too is an impact. Regime change in Iraq and Syria have left residents of many communities at risk. The uh, the Council for Foreign Relations states that when Islamic State forces overran towns populated by the Yazidi, Ethno religious minority in northern Iraq, 2014. They captured thousands, displaced an estimated 360,000, hundreds of thousands fled, while thousands were kidnapped or killed by militants. During their occupation of these areas, which ended in 2017, militants instituted slavery involving sexual exploitation of women and girls. Zainab Bangura, the former UN Specialist Representative for Sexual Violence, says that this war is being fought on the bodies of women. And it is this situation and hundreds others like it that I'm afraid are a direct result of the Western world's continued interference of foreign policy, forced regime change, changes, and we as a country are complicit in this. But you know, it's even more personal than that. Smartphones that most of us here cannot live without, myself included. Children as young as seven are carrying out back-breaking work for 12 hours. They've probably been involved at some point. Mining. In the factories, putting them together. Greed is what drives modern slavery. It is an economic crime. Kevin Bales, who is a leading expert on contemporary slavery, says that people do not enslave people to be mean to them. They do it to make a profit. And the reason this all continues, and they can make a profit through slavery, sex trafficking, Bonded servitude. The reason that things like colonialism, nationalism, and racism continue is because of our entitlement. We want cheap clothing, phones, oil, land, power, another human to do our work for us. It was a long process that was not without cost, that ended the colonial slave trade between Western European powers, their colonies, and the Western African territories in the 19th century. But our present-day circumstances are going to require a lot more. It requires action from those that hold societal power and influence from governments, From international organizations, international lawyers, local non governmental organizations, and multinational corporations, and us. So let's go back to scripture, back to our faith. And Peter's reasoning in this passage is that he's saying that slaves are already freed if they are in Christ. They are free to do good as Christ did with him and by his grace suffer unjustly. That every person within Christ's social order is called to this self-offering love, to sacrifice oneself for the good of God's kingdom. (coughs) He's arguing that you cannot be slaves to human masters if you have freedom in Christ as Christ is the one that suffers unjustly and can be your hope. And in Christianity, slaves have become the paradigm of the way that we are to live in the midst of hostile surroundings. The lesson is to trust God and be subordinate that God does justice in Jesus Christ. He absorbs our destructive power, becomes vulnerable to all the consequences, that he displays this ultimate act of submission. But let us be realistic about where our place in this story lays. We are not the oppressed. We need Christ's freedom, yes, But most of us have not suffered at the hands of others. We have not all been subjected to racism, sexism, anti-Semitism, Islamophobia, economic disadvantage, in short, true injustice. Let us truly see where we stand in this. I grant it is not willingly on the side of the oppressor, But that is what we need freedom from. It is harder for a rich man to enter the kingdom than a camel through the eye of a needle. Christ is the hope for the oppressed. Teaches how to forgive, how to bear up under suffering, and gives hope. But he also calls us not to be the problem. And we should not trivialise slavery. We read Paul's words about being set free. We sing, and we'll sing later, Amazing Grace. And I point out that that song was written whilst he was still involved in the slave trade, not after. As I was doing research for my sermon this morning, there were so many problematic commentators out there who refuse to acknowledge what is right there in the text. They try to explain it away. Some of them even try to write off biblical slavery as some kind of good version of slavery. And once upon a time, I probably would have done the same. I was afraid to question the scriptures thinking that questioning what the bible said was the same as questioning what god said. It's like much of modern christianity has got stuck in modernist ways of modernist ways of thinking that there is this one meta narrative this one truth revealed in the pages and they've held on to it so hard that now it's like the pages are truth the book itself And so passages are picked, glossed over, or read into to explain away horrific violence that has been done in the name of God. And this tradition of interpretation has justified slavery and identified slave owners with God. Whilst also leaving the convenient space for us to identify ourselves with the oppressed, that God is saving us. It's the same double displayed in the Old Testament scripture that praises God on the one hand for their freedom from their deliverance from Egypt, whilst in the other hand, they abuse their slaves. They hold slaves. They have slaves. And so we have to hold scripture lightly, with an open palm, No question should be hushed, no problem should be swept under the carpet. And if we do not admit the problematic nature of scripture, if we defend the violence to which slaves and others were exposed, we participate in the process that justifies that some people are able to own other people. And it means that we don't have to think about our own complicity. I read an essay online by a Norwegian student, Marianne Kartzow, and she sums up beautifully our responsibility when it comes to engaging with scripture. Because we decide what questions to ask. We choose what perspective to read from. We decide what to look for and where to look. How we search in history will also reveal much about ourselves and challenge our ethics. Slavery structures must be made visible in history, as well as in our own time. Our memory not only reflects the past, but also shapes the present reality by providing us with understandings and symbolic framework that helps us make sense of the world. We get to decide what to look for and where to look. That is our responsibility. look at the story of Christ and arguably he could have tried to overthrow Jerusalem with revolution which many of his followers wanted but he did not take the route that many savvy political leader would do and does, he resisted he had privilege he had opportunity he didn't take it because if you have to use violence, coercion armed revolt, or or an abuse of dignity and humanity in order to maintain or get to your ends, you must let go of those ends. And if we are blind to this, blind to the way in which we benefit from these systems, if we uphold, excuse, or defend those systems, by not acknowledging them, or acknowledging our complicity, then we're almost worse in an insidious way. We will not overturn these realities of oppression overnight, but we can each start taking responsibility for our own part to play. And slowly, things will change. Cara Meredith admits, growing up, I imagined that I could easily spot the racists around me. They were the ones proudly displaying Confederate flags across the back of their pickup trucks or blatantly disregarding other people based on the color of their skin. And I looked at them and counted myself lucky that I had not been born into that kind of family or raised with that distorted version of Christianity. But then I started to realize how much I profited from the systems designed to benefit people who look more like me like many of my European brothers and sisters, I began awakening to my own racial identity. And that meant confronting the racist within me and lamenting the many ways in which I have been an oppressor to the marginalized. Now, many of you who are on Facebook or Instagram will have seen that I, last month, was doing a challenge called Me and White Supremacy, a reflective truth-telling exercise curated by Leila Saad, a spiritual leader. It pushed me to see the ways in which I am complicit in systematic and personal racism. And what I realize is this, that this is my inheritance of colonialism. This is my story that is built on the backs of slaves. If you're interested in doing this, then do talk to me afterwards. Christ had that potential to be the oppressor. A man, educated, revered, listened to. Influenced, invited into rooms where the parties of movers and shakers were. Yet he does not oppress, he emancipates. And shines a light on the privileges, blindness and destruction that our biblical counterparts, the powerful and advantaged, had. So let's follow Christ's path. Lord, enable us to fight for freedom, to fight for equality, to fight for deliverance. Help us to see cruelty and hardship. abuse of power whatever it is around us fill our leaders with wisdom and justice and insight fill them with your truth your creation, your vision. We give thanks for the freedom that we enjoy. And we pray for those that work for justice and peace in our world. We pray for those and we remember those that have sacrificed all and will sacrifice all to rebuild to change to fight for equality we pray that their struggles will not be in vain And nor we pray for an end to racial discrimination. That all people, creeds, colours and race, may be equally included and embraced in the fabric of our society. And we pray for those that are still bound by chains of persecution, bound in slavery, bound in fear. Lord, we pray that they will find freedom in their faith in you, but also in reality. Creator, Redeemer, Deliverer. Hear our prayer. Amen.